The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven. We are your hosts, Ashley Wright Eiler, Joel Sharpton here, and we are The Articulate Coven. And we are back for episode two, uh, faster than we originally assumed, faster than you might have imagined, um, perhaps faster than you yourself are watching this. Uh, let's speak off the top here, Ashley, to a discussion we had in the Facebook group. Do we release these episodes as closely as we can with the release of the episodes themselves on AMC Plus, or do we try to tie our releases back to the cable release? And once you and I realized for sure we were going to be getting continuously episodes week to week ahead of the cable schedule, First and foremost, you and I wanted to talk about these episodes individually. Like we we watched episode one and discussed it before we watched episode two, and we want right. to do that week to week. So, if we're going to separate our own discussions just for ease of viewing and ease of recording, I think it's going to be better for us to roll with the AMC Plus schedule since that's what you and I were doing. We took it to the group. It seems like most people in the group, you know, that are commenting regularly anyway, they seem to be AMC Plus users too. The few cable users were like, hey, I know I'm going to be running behind on the series. That means I'll be running behind on the podcast. No worries. No harm, no foul. So um, just be aware of that if you're a cable watcher. Be aware of that in the Facebook group, especially. Watch the spoiler threads. We'll... we'll Title those at the top, spoiler thread for episode two discussion, you know, whatever. And uh, just don't don't read ahead. Yeah, stay out of those spoiler chats because they will be spoilery. And, <laughs> and of course, I mean, if you're, if you're a book reader before, like, it's not like, it's not really spoiling. But at the same time, I do understand because you and I are trying to do it ourselves. You want this, this version of the tale to unfold as the creators wanted it to, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really, oh. It's so good, you guys. I, I, something I'm really excited about is, I'm, I, as we know, there was a lot of like uh, a lot of fans were kind of concerned about how this is going to be, and it's just really great to go uh, to like get onto Facebook and get into like the the uh, the pages that I follow and the and the fan groups that I'm in, and people really seem to be enjoying this for the most part. I mean, obviously there are some there are some definitely people that are not on board yet, but um, I think a lot of us are having a really good time with it. Yeah, I, I think over, well, and maybe it's just about how I've managed my own social uh, media right. feeds, I don't know, but I am I am seeing overwhelming love for it. Uh, every now and again, I, I'll see a small nitpick, but generally, it's, it's a nitpick brought about from someone who loves a particular aspect of the novels or one particular novel even, so that's, that's almost understandable. You and I are going to have those things. As a matter of fact, one of them is going to come up in this episode, Ashley. So before we get to that and our spoiler discussion, in case you haven't watched episode two, After the Phantoms of Your Former Self, uh, let's do spoiler-free for a second. What did you think of the episode? Um, of course, I, I've watched it three times, you guys, um, already today because I was making a roux, making some gumbo, and that takes some time. So um, I did my rewatches while I was cooking, and I, I freaking love it. It was such a cool... Um, little slice of time in, in, in this world and in their relationship while, uh, Louis is, uh, uh, a, a fledgling. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a great ride. I had a blast. I had a great time. There was a lot more humor in this episode, which was kind of fun. And we get to see a little bit more of, um, Lestat's not so great side. So yeah, I had a blast. I, I had a great time watching it. I did too. I also, I feel like I get a sense now of the pacing of the series, perhaps. You can you can begin to see, we know it's going to be seven episodes this season, and we know where we are in the tale. You and I have already speculated about where we're going to end up by the end of season one. I, I, I get a sense of where they're going as far as like how they're laying this out for us, in particular with the combination of the modern day story, that is going on sort of the B plot with Daniel and uh, Louis in this compound in uh, Dubai versus the classical story of interview with the vampire, which is the developing tale of Louis as he becomes and, and grows as a vampire. It's um, I think they did a great job, honestly, of telling the two stories tonight. And again, I, I get a sense of how this is going to go week to week as we move forward. And I'm super excited about it. So let's let's dive into it. This is a, a wild ass interview. This is a wild. Ass oh, interview man. It's happening. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, this episode was directed again by a- uh, Alan Taylor, uh, just as the pilot episode was. This one was written, however, by Jonathan Sinisarowitz and uh, Dave Harris. Those are our writers for this one. Um, I want to I want to dive right in the top with my nitpick. So, I mean, literally the first thing that I wrote, it's it's within the first, I think, three minutes of the episode. Louis and Lestat speak to each other mentally, even though Louis ha- is now turned. Uh, it's one sentence, and I was so angry. I said, ugh. <laughs> it's my first disappointment of the series. I can't believe they let me down. We literally talked about this last week. I literally had the reaction. <laughs> and then I said, wait, because Lestat further explains and says they can't read each other's minds. And yet, in the in the opening scene, as he takes Louis for that first hunt, Louis is eyeing the sailor while Lestat is trying to to turn him towards the salesman. And the first time Lestat does it out loud, he he puts a hand on Louis and addresses the salesman directly. The second time, though, he says in Louis's head, it seems in the show anyway. He says, you're going to scare him away, mon ami. And I don't know I don't know what they're doing here, other than just like maybe they're confused, you know, and somebody missed it, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe I suppose they consider I, speaking, like using that. A power straight to... telepathic message when you're sitting beside each other different it's somehow different than. Reading your mind than actually going I mean, into and. That's kind of I mean, I maybe I, but it, I, it, I do wonder because the thing that you and I were really concerned about, uh, and and think it matters to the overall tale of this is that moment when you're in need and you scream out to the rest of the vampires, which Louis refers to, you know, hearing the the calls or the the squabbles, the the plotting of all of these uh, other vampires around the world. He can hear it, and yet. Can he hear Lestat's cry for help if he needs him? Or is it only when they're right there in the present? I, I don't know. I mean, I suppose it's probably not going to be addressed. And maybe this is one of those things, like you said last week, about you know the amount of blood or the levitating. It, it's a nitpick. It's, it's television. They're trying to, to show this vampiric power to people who haven't read literally thousands of pages of Anne's writing right. on the subject. So... I don't know. I guess I'll just take it, but I would like to hear Roland Jones talk about it, honestly, yes, because I, I want to know what the deal was here. I'm very interested to see if um, if they if they give any sort of explanation about that, because I had the same reaction. I literally was like, oh, like I said it out loud. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but then I felt, I don't know. I am glad that Lestat, as Lestat explained it, I, I think the the central core of what you and I were talking about in last episode remains in this universe and will be there moving forward. In particular, the divide between Louis and Lestat can grow because they cannot read each other's minds. They right. cannot understand each other innately. They have to use their words, as as the relationship counselor says, and they have to explain what what each of them wants and needs from one another. And so that that um, open wound that we think you know, might eventually fester, that that all can happen still. But boy, like, why why make it complicated or confusing for anyone? Yeah, uh, it's yeah, just, I just know. didn't need, like, Lestat could have spoken out loud. It's literally the one thing that I was like, I'm going to be, both of us were like, I'm going to be really annoyed if they F this up. And it, and there, there it was within, like, yeah, you're right, within the first, you know, 10 minutes of the episode. Ah! But, but hopefully it will be explained and I can live with it in my own brain. I can not let it, especially since it was, ex- I, you know, inverted commas explained away. You know, I don't know. We'll see. I will say they follow this up with just an excellent little sequence of events. Louis and Lestat's first real fight as a as a you know oh as a couple. God. Oh my God. It's so it. perfect. It's so perfect. You know, the, Lestat's, Louis' line about, there are a lot of things different in America. Oh, this again. We're going to go over this. It's right, clear right. that they've had <laughs> these sorts of, you know, headbutting incidents already. And yet, it, this is the first time that we're seeing it. But it plays out so true to life and also true to their characters. If you're in a long term committed relationship, it doesn't matter how infatuated you are with the person or how much you idolize them, uh, adore them. 
the way that they brush their teeth and leave the toothpaste in the sink or the way they put the toilet paper roll on backwards or, you know, all the little things that happen. This is the stuff that fights are about when you're when you're in a long term relationship. And so I love that that's already happening for the two of them. Um, and again, it's very, very true to who they are in, in the books. A hundred percent. There was a great line there, I thought, too, and an explanation sort of of something we discussed in last episode. Uh, as Lestat is stuffing the body into the yes. furnace, <laughs> <laughs> yes. he says, two parish priests disappear. No one minds. Probably kid fiddlers. First of all, have you ever heard the phrase kid fiddler? <laughs> um, I, I think I've heard uh, a diddler. But not a fiddler. I had too. I'd not I had never heard kid fiddler before, and I think that was an interesting turn of phrase there from Lestat. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a reference just to what we talked about last week. Oh, Lestat's gonna say that they were pedophiles and that's why I killed him. That's not yeah. what he's saying here. He's saying that it's easy to dismiss. People will say, uh, some dad got mad and and you know, they disappeared into the bayou. Uh, but this man's a lawyer, people will notice. <laughs> right, right. You know, we gotta keep a tidy house. And even, you know, I think um, uh, before, um, after they're, when they're disposing of the priests, he, Lestat apologizes for like losing his, losing his cool. You know, he's like, you know, we really have to do, we really have to clean up after ourselves and we can't just be like leaving a gross mess around everywhere. So I think that, I think it's so funny. Anything that, anything that I feel like a lot of us are hesitant about gets explained, you know, like, okay, well, here's an explanation for, why Lestat had that really bloody kill. And he's like, okay, well, I apologize. I probably shouldn't have been that messy, you know? Yeah. He literally calls it out. I, one does wonder exactly how they cleaned up all the massive amounts of blood and gore on the inside of the church. What'd they do with the fire, for instance? Although well, I don't know yeah. if, I guess if you're going to stage that a couple of priests got jacked and, and murdered, then uh, it doesn't matter so much. You just don't need to leave the specific uh, kinds of gore that they left. Um, going back to that scene, as you mentioned in the graveyard, though, and I did, I did breeze past this, uh, Louis' body dies, and they showed that, yes. I think, very true to form for the, oh. for the books, the way that it's described there. Yes, I agree, and I think it was so much fun to watch him, watch them kind of walk back into town, and like, when he starts to see the lights and starts to see, um, the reflection of everything and how everything's new with his vampiric eyes. And that's something that's so beautifully described in the books. I'm so glad they took the time to, to show that as well. Well, and I like that Daniel calls it out too. You were fucking loaded. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you were, I know, I know that feeling. I've been yeah, there before. <laughs> absolutely. I love that kind of comparison and because they've, you know, because Daniel's been set up as a recovering addict, you know, you're, you're, to, to draw that comparison between the high and the thrill of a, of a, of an actual high versus a, the thrill of a kill is just, is really interesting. And also, you know, just the, the turning into a vampire, the sharing of the, the vampiric blood and all that, and how it's just a heightened experience. And I kind of like those parallels being drawn. It gives people kind of a, a different, you know, maybe outlook on it. I also uh, love Lestat, again, very true to the novel, completely just dismissive of this experience for Louis. Yeah, you're dying. Yeah. It happens to yeah. everybody. Yeah. Get over it. Oh, look at that. You've retched. Yep, here it comes. So yeah. dignified. <laughs> and then the moment that Louis comes out of that, suddenly Lestat's attention is drawn back to him. Louis, there's the spark. Yeah. You know, and I love that because it is. Again, this is it is Lestat. Lestat is not interested in the awful, you know, but he loves Louis because Louis is this perfect aesthetic creature, which is, as you mentioned last week, Lestat's entire moral system basically is based on esthetism and, and beauty and, uh, you know, pleasure. Um, uh, in the the scheme of eternity for him, so I love that they they play the, that out in small moments and they they host it there. Um, the other thing, and we wondered whether they would call this out, but they they called it out specifically. Uh, Louis is listing the ways in which he and Lestat are different, which is so great. Uh, you know, black, white, Creole, French, queer, half queer, mostly queer. Question mark, question mark. And Lestat says, non-discriminating. I love, first of all, I love the way that he answers it. Like the, 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 
delivery that Sam gives there is just perfect. But also, Lestat is not. Lestat is is absolutely bi, pansexual, whatever you want to call it. Like Lestat loves people and souls and personalities so much more than the wobbly bits, you know, and that's that's exactly where that character is coming from. And Sam is playing it from there. I, I dug it. Absolutely. It reminded me so much of one of my favorite moments in the fabulous Shit's Creek where um, uh, Stevie and David are talking about their, you know, kind of, you know, sexual orientation. And, and, and David says, I'm into the I'm into the wine, not the label. And it's it's got a definite feel for that with our with our boiler start, and I love it. I think that's awesome because that's a hundred percent true, a hundred percent the way the character has been portrayed in every book I've read. You know, he falls in love with he's in love with being in love. You know, he loves loves to love our guy. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think the we, I'm referenced it earlier as the B story, but the our, our story with Daniel and and Louis in the in Dubai. I think that a lot of people are going to have a problem with the dinner, the pageantry of it, the way that <laughs> Louis lays this thing out over course over course. It really seems to be set up to not just put Daniel on an uncomfortable footing, but almost like a little bit of psychological torture. And it seems very un-Louis. I, I want to park that particular part of it because I want to come back to it in Easter eggs. But I want you and I to discuss maybe maybe there's some reasons for why that all seems so unlouis. But to me, I think surface level, I think there's a reason why it could make perfect sense for Louis to be acting this way in that he says it. He calls it out. This book that they are write, or going to write after these interviews are completed this book should be a warning as much as anything else to the mortal world. Even a vampire like Louis, a, you know, quote unquote, vegan vampire, the most restrained vampire effectively that exists, according to his word, even that vampire is still a brutal killer and a danger to those around him, as he shows to one of his own employees at some point. That is the strangest dinner party I've ever seen. And it, it, it has a real Hannibal Lecter feel to me like he's playing with his food kind of a thing. It's very, it's very interesting. And I agree. It's very, it feels very un-Louis. Um, and I just wonder, I, I, I do wonder what his, what he, what he, what, what his motivation is, like what game he's playing here. I do think a lot of it's to kind of throw him kind of to throw Daniel off balance and to kind of make him feel sort of heady and confused because he can't like, he can't, you know, and he's getting him drunk too. He's making him, I mean, he's drinking wine with every one of these courses. He's having like a full glass of wine with every one of these courses. So it's just this really kind of like intoxicating and sort of drugging sort of experience that's happening. It's very strange. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, sort of strange generally for a former junkie to be having that much wine. I mean, generally, the people I knew who have had narcotics issues in the past generally end up being teetotalers as far as alcohol goes too because it's a sort of a slippery slope. You get drunk and then all of a sudden your inhibitions are down, your willpower is down to overcome those other uh, vices that you've said no to in the past. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely... I mean, I think that's definitely a lot of people's experience. I do know a lot, you know, there, there's definitely a, a, a drug of choice kind of, you know, truth out there. There's certain things you just kind of have to stay away from. And they kind of have Im implied or directly said his problem is with meth. Uh, so there was there was a reference to meth in this episode. In the first episode, Louis asks, what's the best uh, high you've ever had? And I believe he references black tar, which I would assume means heroin. heroin I think that's the yeah, only thing yeah. I've ever heard black tar before. He, you know, he calls out where it was from and who gave it to him or whatever, but he, he referred to it as black tar. So my guess was that, um, that Daniel was primarily a heroin user, an opiate user. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. People, people do enjoy the opiates. Well, as, as my mother said, after a surgery several years ago, when she had, some some high dose painkillers. She says, "Wow, I understand why people do this. I I've been sitting up on my bed and I just I feel so good today." And I said, "Mom, there's a reason they call it chasing yeah. that dragon. That's, that's a, right. That's, that's hilarious. That's bad news, man. It's like the um, first time taking Xanax." 
<laughs> right? I was like, oh, wow, I feel amazing. Probably Daniel says, you're this. fucking loaded. <laughs> right. I love it. So speaking speaking of, of that, that addictive uh, relationship, though, we have a scene that plays out or a couple of scenes that play out with Louie back at home. Now, this is a little confusing if you don't pay super good attention. My, my wife even mentioned uh, missed it the first time. Uh, so he goes to visit Grace at uh, the, the, the Point de Lac home, and Grace is pregnant. He realizes with his vampiric powers, he hears not one, not two, but three heartbeats, in fact, it's twins. It's going to be twins. And he's so excited. He, they talk about being an uncle, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of an interesting little visit there. And then Louis leaves. The next time he comes back to speak to Grace, you, again, if you, if you blink, you'll miss it. But it's actually five years later. Five years right. have passed. He and Lestat have already done some business dealings. He's bought the Fair Play Saloon and has done a lot of business there. He's been focused on business and his vampiric life and has not been visiting the family is the implication. Now, it doesn't look like Grace or the family is hurting for money. Everybody seems to have prospered in the in his absence. So I think probably the funds have continued to go. Maybe he's been sending an agent for himself oh, or something. For sure. But Louie has not been visiting a mom presence, yeah. or Grace or, or his brother-in-law. As a matter of fact, Grace calls him out. He has never even met the twins that he, you know, discovered in utero before Grace was even public about it. So so maybe he hasn't seen Grace in five years at all? Like, I that's mean, not said out like loud, it. but that's the implication. Um, and then Grace presents him with her new uh, child, his new nephew, and promptly leaves the room, to which Louis has to now decide whether he can beat the hunger and this uh, throbbing <laughs> heartbeat in his ear and whether or not he's going to, as Daniel so directly puts it, did you eat the baby? Did you eat the baby? <laughs> I It disturbs me how many TV shows I'm watching right now that leave me wondering, did they eat the baby? Because <laughs> there's a couple that I'm watching now that that's a, an underlying concern. Did we eat the baby? I don't know. I was discussing earlier today the the fact that I was really enjoying this show and how, how good it's turned out, and I'm so excited for people to watch it on cable and everything. And a friend mentioned, you know, sort of jokingly, oh, I can't watch that evil stuff about vampires and whatnot. Now I'm going to go turn <laughs> back on my show where a white man eats, uh, uh, kills and eats a lot of young boys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, oh, yeah, Dom, Dommer, of course, is, is <laughs> what everybody's talking about on Twitter lately. I have not gone there myself yet. I, I loved Hannibal. I love the vampire Lestat. I love this world in particular. You've heard me talk about, I, I like a lot of dark things. <sighs> Dahmer is complicated for me in a lot of ways, but the number one way is because it is, it's so real and yeah, so recent. And I mean, current, you, current, yeah. yeah, you it's and I, I that, that, that was, yes. Well, and not just the trial, but the deaths, you know, that, that was the world that you and I grew up in as children was this yeah. world where children <laughs> disappeared, young men and young women disappeared on a regular basis, not news. just Dahmer, but so yes, you know, that's yeah. I mean, <laughs> our play patterns and our, you know, post school curricular activities, uh, extracurricular activities, those were altered because of men like Jeffrey Dahmer. So anyway, I'm a little not ready to watch that one yet, but I do think it's funny to hear anybody talk about like the violence or the gore or the <laughs> right. sort of amorality of this and when shows stories. like yeah mind hunter yeah. and american horror stories and uh uh you know the dahmer the monster or whatever that the netflix series is called all those shows those exist and are very highly praised so uh miss me on those particular critiques <laughs> on this show it's uh yeah it's uh yeah <laughs> i think a lot so, of that has to do with like uh a kind of a, a, a religious concern about the dangers and darkness of of vampires and it's that uh that satanic panic kind of thing <laughs> well i mean they did kill two priests in the last episode pretty brutally oh, so i i suppose there's something there um <laughs> did you ever think he was going to eat the baby um i didn't think that that would happen for sure i really didn't think that would happen I figured it would go. Yeah, down I thought that'd be a pretty big did. departure for Louis, huh? Yeah, that was gonna be a that was gonna be pretty extreme. I think for us to have to sit through as well. Um, and I I do think it was interesting that she was so frightened when that baby started crying, though. 
it's like she kind of instinctively had a feeling that that was a dangerous situation for the baby to be in because I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, Ooh, she's freaking out. I thought the same thing too, which is interesting since, I mean, she left him, she left the baby with Louis not once, but twice, which says to me that she did not have some sort of foreboding about his otherness, even though she specifically calls out his eyes, does right. say that he's different than he used to be, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I don't know. That was a weird moment for me. I do. I, I am glad, as we said, we thought we might. We saw more of Grace in this episode. Seems like that might come up back up again. I think there's got to be at least some resolution for her, uh, kind of a, a goodbye to her in some way, if nothing else. And the same thing with his mother. I think this relationship with his mother and another one, just one scene with Radon Chong in this episode, but um, incredibly dismissive to Lestat. I don't recall oh, so inviting funny. him. So funny. Oh, goodness. But take your overdressed self and enjoy yourself. Have a ball, you know? Uh, I thought that was fantastic. I love that. Lestat's not used to people talking to him like that either. And I love that she's... No. That she does. And the glimpse inside Mama Dulac's head there for Louis yeah. as he notices, she notices his fingernails and the fancy sunglasses and says, you know, a man of his kind has a fashion, I suppose and is dismissive and you see there it's interesting too because i kind of gave her credit in the last episode there's the moment where paul calls out the relationship between uh louis and lestat and mother and sister look at each other knowingly they i think they know exactly what um yeah. louis sexuality is and in my mind accepted it as much as they possibly could I, obviously they come from a religion and a culture that didn't accept it as as okay but to me i thought there was some sort of maybe acceptance is the wrong word it's definitely not approval no, like but at least understanding yes here it seems very much like there's there's some self-loathing on her part for the fact that louis is this way though yeah it, she does have you know she's definitely the the judgmental mother there in that moment and i don't think that's surprising at all i think that that's pretty on 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 brand for you know the time period is as well and then you know just moving this character forward moving him forward and having a having to eventually have a rift between his family where he's no longer you know in contact with them it's kind of setting all that up i do wonder whether louis will cause that break directly in some way will he be the actual end of either his mother or sister or both or will it just be a dissolution of the relationship and, and him finally pulling away, you know, for whatever reason or in whatever way, looking forward to see how that resolves. And I, my guess is that might. Yeah. Like him realizing that he, that he has to, that he has to walk away. He has to be the one that walks away. My guess is that might even come in this next episode. I think we've got one more before we meet Claudia. And uh, I think this is part of that. I think I think Claudia comes out of the goodbye to family, maybe in this story. Um, so well, and he says, you know, this is the first time you hear him say to Lestat, uh, you know, after that after that moment that he has where he's like, I almost ate my nephew. <laughs> um, and but but he's like, I'm not ever going to have a family, you know. And um, I think no sons, like, no daughters. No sons, no daughters, and it's kind of that first that first inkling that he wants that, that he wants more and that there's something that Lestat can't provide for him, you know, and so off they go to try. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I saw a lot of memes with like that line and then the light bulb moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lestat hey, has yeah. an idea. Ding, ding. Um, yeah, I bet I could. So, so let's talk a little bit about buying the fair play uh, saloon and the move up into the, um, you know, the, the white world of the underhanded business there. It's obviously going to bring Louis more into the public eye. It's going to cause him more problems. Lestat calls it out. And yet it clearly brings him a lot of pride and satisfaction and um, sort of a, a penance for the years of microaggressions and and not so microaggressions that right. he's had to suffer in his you know mortal life well i think being a vampire gives him i mean gives him that that feeling of 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 having power for being powerful after being 
in a situation where you're a second class citizen and you are not, the power is not with you. You, The ball's not in your court. Um, When that guy tells him, oh, you've earned your 15%, I was like, oh, you asshole. Are you <laughs> He's only getting 15% from this shit. I was so angry. I was so angry. And um, so angry that I totally understood while he was like, I'm going to fucking kill that guy. Well, and I love Louis' line there too. He's like, it was unfortunate and yes. random that that man chose that night to commit some fuckery. fuckery. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That was so funny. And brilliant and um, correct. That was some fuckery, and I'm glad that he dealt with that asshole. Again, though, it, it I think this is building towards what we talked about last week, which is this still Lestat's lack of understanding that yeah. the vampiric vampiric powers that uh, Louis has don't change so his. Yeah, they don't change his yeah. status in life. Honestly, yeah, they change his choices in how he reacts and responds to the nature of the life that he leads but to not draw attention he still has to walk a step behind Lestat when they go to the opera he still has to stand behind him and wait as if he's the valet and and by the way what a what gall from Lestat hey I'm trying to make it up to you I want to take you on a date let's go do what I like to do and also you have to pretend to be my 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 serving man you know and wear the suit I bought for you Oh yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. He did smile at the suit, at least. So, like, Lestat, uh, Louis, I think is is into the fashion now, perhaps. Um, I I really enjoyed the in the book. It is uh, uh, a woman that would fill this role. I think, or actually, it's two singers, isn't it? I think the scene is played out largely in the movie as well. That Lestat brings back to the parlor here to oh sort of God. do this slow drain and everything. Um, I that love that it played out as tenor. it did. Yes, with the tenor. <laughs> because this, again, is something from the books. Also, it's very much something that Hannibal would do. We've mentioned him a couple of times here. Hannibal would absolutely kill the tenor because he couldn't sing as well as absolutely. the soprano that's um, in from out of town. Him pricking his finger and marking each note that was missed. Oh, God. I, I was like, that's what he's doing. I realized that immediately, and I was like, oh, holy shit. This is going to be wild. You know, and I, I love that um, they're acknowledging his deep passion and love for music, and then that's that that's kind of intertwined with the character, and that he would be that freaking offended <laughs> about this tenor sucking. Not just deep passion and love for the music, but performers, but, the musicians, but well. but the composer as well. He knew the composer. Yeah. He was there when this was written and premiered, and it he's was so a moment offended. he'll he'll never forget. <laughs> and I, he's rolling in his grave, and I know that because I was there. You son of a bitch. I love when he takes the tenor and tries to explain what he did wrong. He's playing him through yes, the parts yes. and explaining it to him and breaking him down mentally and emotionally. You know. Also, so Sam sang. We yeah, d- we did. didn't expect it so early, but he it's it's lovely. It wasn't featured. He was sort of offhanded and and in the background in French, but still, or in Italian, I guess. But lovely. I'm so glad that they got to use uh, that talent that he has. And as we said, supposedly there's at least a moment or two that we're going to hear Louis sing as well, um, sometime in here. And but then the follow up to that, he he finally stabs the tenor with his his finger and and oh. makes it where he can't <laughs> speak anymore, which is so brilliant. And Louis asked him, why did you do that? Yeah, and Lestat says, well, I like, like to do that. it. Well, I like to do it. I enjoy it. <laughs> and Louis says, well, I don't. And Lestat says, then don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't ask you. I didn't tell you you had to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah I, I love, that. though, that that's effectively two guys yelling at each other, don't yuck my yum. <laughs> yeah, it's these, these early indications of marital strife we're seeing with our guys here. Um, I love the scene. This is uh, back a little bit, but I adored the scene um, with the two of them in their coffins um, when uh, Lestat was like, I don't like to go to bed angry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really nice, too. I thought that was so and much fun. It shows, too, the power dynamic in this relationship. There is a power imbalance between Lestat and Louis, as there was in the books, in that Lestat has a lot more knowledge, a lot more actual vampiric power than Louis does, et cetera, et cetera. But on the flip side, there is this imbalance of power in that 
Louis is in some ways more worldly almost than Lestat is. Still, even though Lestat's older in this version, Louis understands this world at least that they're moving in better right. than Lestat does. Um, and also, badass though, he's got a good setup for his vampire life in New Orleans. Oh, right. Uh, there's also though the the imbalance of. I mean, as much as Louis calls it out to Daniel in the modern day, he says there was a, a manner of there was a manner in which I worshipped him almost. Speaking about Lestat, and that's true. Louis is sort of caught in his orbit, but at the same time, Lestat is the one in the relationship that can't say no to Louis, and he calls it out. How can I say no to you? And that's right. when Louis finally gives up his pout and smiles and they, they make up there in that moment. I, I love that that's all played out and, and you can see it. You can see that power dynamic go back and forth, the ebb and the flow of, of who's in charge and who's leading this dance. And, and right. It has so much to do with who's, who's in charge of the, of like the temperature of the relationship and how that's like, this really, it, it feels like a dance, but it's really a tug of war. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and then to end, uh, Louis gives in to Lestat and joins in the meal of the tenor there. Although he, <laughs> well, I, again, very true. How could you say no to him? Uh, right. and, and Louis says that to Daniel, basically, I was trying to appease him. I was trying to get along. I was trying to hold on to this relationship, all that I knew in the world, all that I had in the world, basically. And then Louis and Daniel have a great moment to end the episode. Although, again, I think people are going to be kind of mad at it. Going back to the discussion you and I had last week, is there a straight washing of the character of Daniel? Is is Daniel here only a straight man, unlike in the, the novels where he is very much uh, a gay man? Um, we get the story of the dessert. The final right. course is a dessert. Louis tells us that he tries once a week to have a human dish, even though it tastes like paste or chalk or, or you know, nothing. Um, what sort of penance? It made me think about like the, you know, the sex of Catholicism where they, they tie the needles around their leg or whatever. So that every time you kneal, you get pricked or something like, oh, oh, what, yeah, yeah. why would you do that to yourself, Louie? <laughs> <laughs> why are you yourself? What are you yeah, doing? Punishing yourself. What does he say to keep up the thread? To keep he the thread. Yeah. To keep the thread. As to keep the image. I don't, I, to keep the image. I would try to figure out like, uh, so that he is able to do that in public when he needs to. It's just interesting. I mean, maybe that's what it is. He, he he maintains, like, he keeps himself used to it so that it's not so disgusting that he can actually eat morsels in, in public. That might be what he means there. I thought it was literally, like, about about reminding myself that I'm not human, yeah, almost. I mean, you know, like, I don't, don't get confused that I'm like everyone else or anyone else, in fact. Him uh, biting into that fox was... I was like, this is, <laughs> Jesus, I don't want to eat, I don't want to eat across from you, sir. This is well, the interesting. I've ever had. <laughs> interesting that he serves Daniel for that course, rabbit, and then he eats a fox at the other end of the table, right? I thought that was interesting. Right. You got prey and, and predator there, both on the table. Um, I, the whole that whole thing, and we'll get to this in just a few minutes because I do want to talk about that in the Easter egg section. But um, the the wrap up, though, I think Daniel has a very personal moment there. He he hears that from oh, Louis yeah. that Louis has this this human meal every week, and you know I'd heard in one of your books you mentioned this dessert, and so I thought I'd have it, and so Daniel tells him what this dessert means to him. It's about his first wife. They ate it the day that he proposed, et cetera, et cetera. And he's got this beautiful little comment about her eyebrow is half blonde and half dark. But the wistful nature of it, the longing that he clearly has for maybe not that particular woman, but the a relationship gone awry, the failures of his young life, you know, whatever you see there in right. his eyes. Eric Bogosian's a great actor. You know, he's doing a lot of things all at once with, with almost nothing. Um, but but again, that's a moment calls to his relationship with a woman as opposed to a man seems yeah. to mean a lot to him, seems to have been a, a you know a, a central moment of his life, perhaps. Uh, I wonder what they're doing. I've, I have, listen, 
I have total faith in the creators at this point. So I'm along for the ride and I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt that they're going to interesting places there. But that is a thread that I want to continue to pull as we go along. I wanted to hear your take on it. Um, it was a good moment, though, to end the episode on, I thought. Oh, it was. And you could tell, like, he gets to the point where he's like, I know this isn't about an interview with me, you asshole. It's an interview with you. And he closes his computer. And he kind of right, closing himself off again. Yeah. And I love that. I love that moment where he's like, no, now you've now you've you've kind of crossed a boundary with me and two can play at this game. <laughs> uh, the other thing we haven't mentioned uh, yet, uh, a little bit more of a hint as to what sort of world Louis is living in here in that we see lots of servants in this lots episode across the uh, the dinner. Uh, we see Rashid again, but we also see uh, a Russian, uh, Demek, I think the man's name was, who uh, comes snack. in as a, our, our yeah, snack. as a snack, exactly. And a then lots snack. of different people coming in to serve the table and, and fix the table and take everything away, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Rashid makes a comment at some point that he serves a god. Yes. My question, and this will lead into our Easter egg discussion, is he talking about Louis? That's a very good question. He says, I serve a God, and yet, and yet many times he refers to Louis as Mr. Point de Lac in the third person. He's talking to, uh, talking to Daniel about Louis, and he'll say Mr. Point de Lac. I mean, an interesting thing to think about and wonder as we move forward there. I'm, I'm super excited to find out more of what his story is and where he comes from and, and what is going on there. Um, the, the whole setup seems so unlike Louis on so many levels, but it's nice to see like, I don't know, like the, um, how intricately they have their world set up for their, you know, for their safety and for their ability to like live the lives that they want to live as vampires. You know, it's really, it's, it's cool. I've always found that really interesting how they have to keep, you know, resetting themselves up as, as time goes by, as, you know, as as they're supposed to die and then they can come back as like the ne long lost nephew of their dead self you know to keep their you know their books on track yeah i love that right kind of, i always love that aspect of it kind of in the background and uh, it's cool to kind of see it played out on the screen uh so overall i thought this was a great episode it's a, it's a wonderful episode too again i feel i feel even more satisfied and even more confident that the this thing is going to go just as well as the pilot did and and when we get to the end of this first season ride i think we're going to be just as excited and looking forward to season two as we are here looking forward to episode three so kudos i am on board i 100 percent. i i was gonna be on board regardless i'll be on board if the damn ship sets on fire i just have to just have to have to go for it yeah you just yeah have to. Just have to. all right quickly let's get to a couple of easter eggs here if you haven't Excellent. read the books and you don't want any speculation about what's to come now is the time to dip out um two things uh, uh short things first uh the painting in right? the dining room <laughs> shanley well so there are two paintings there in in this episode to be referenced we'll get to the other one in a minute but in the dining room when they're actually eating there's a painting in the background shanley on uh twitter and i'll put a link to this in the show notes her tweet about it fun fact for for a niche audience in the dining room in dubai is the storm on the sea of galilee by rembrandt this painting was stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in 1990 during a heist and is still missing in the real world. I thought that was a nice touch. Right? What a what a brilliant idea. And this is something that is in the books. The vampires have stolen a lot of artwork uh -huh. over the years and have a lot of stolen artwork from famous uh, famous artists. So that's a, that's a cool touch. The other artwork that you got excited about there, it's right yes. in the beginning of the episode as Daniel is kind of looking around and he has that moment with Rashid uh, where he mentions that he, you know, uh, serves a god. Uh, the artist is called out as Marius de Romanus. Marius... Yep exists in this world uh and and uh the the vampires know about him so i've seen a lot of the um i've seen a lot of the fandom sort of uh clutching their pearls over marius's uh incoming existence in this universe because very frankly as portrayed in the books uh marius is a pedophile and obviously 
that is not the kind of character that anybody wants to root for, right? He yeah. he uses and abuses Armand and apparently many others uh, through the years that are underage. F- first and foremost, Armand in this series is not going to be underage. I I don't I believe they will cast him young. I don't believe they will cast him as an underage man. And I think the relationship with Marius and Armand is going to be different. I do think it's going to be a passionate one and a romantic one. I do not think it is going to be that of a master and a child. Yeah. So again, it's like, what, what are we comfortable watching? What are, what are we comfortable seeing? What, what story, what version of this is, is palatable for everyone to consume in a way that's not, you know, unhealthy or dangerous or, you know, and it's different with, we're talking vampires and I get that that's like, it's all fictitious and whatever, but it's still, you know, we don't want to, I hate when, when quote unquote entertainment becomes, you know, like, like kind of oversteps those lines where you feel like you're treading in really, really gross territory. You know, it's just not, not cool to kind of re- trigger people that have had those bad experiences and and that sort of thing. It's just not a fun way to consume things, in my opinion. I 100% agree. Uh, Marius de Romanus, of course, from the Vampire Lestat, he is the Marius, the creator of Armand. He is this, you know, thousand-year-old vampire plus. Uh, he is the mentor of Lestat. He is the one that keeps those who must be kept or did at least once upon a time, whether or not he's alive at this point in the timeline, how far along are we? Are we post Queen of the Damned? Are we post Mimnock the Devil? I got to tell you, I think based on uh, Louis' discussion about you know this book being a warning, I think we're post Mimnock the Devil and Lestat in the modern day right now is in his comatose state. I think that's where we are. I think Louis and Armand and Marius are kind of running things on a day-to-day basis, and Lestat is not around currently. I think that's, I think that's where this Louis finds himself. I think it's one of the reasons why he is in this contemplative state. I think it's one of the reasons why he's thinking about warning the public, because maybe he doesn't trust or love or respect quite as much as Lestat, at least, those that are now seemingly calling the shots. And in particular... I wonder if we're not at Louis' compound in Dubai. I wonder if we are in Armand's compound in Dubai. Rashid, I believe, serves Armand, not Louis. And I got to tell you, right now, I think we're going to see Armand before the season goes. I know I said last week we weren't. I've changed my mind. I think they're working towards Armand. I think we might even see him soon. I think, okay. I'm very, that's, that's interesting. I... Um, if man, if they've kept that under their hat this long, that is some seriously good secret keeping on their set. Right? Damn. It'll be so impressive if they pull it off. But I, yeah. I think, first of all, this this decor is not Louis. It does not scream Louis. It screams no, it really Armand. Doesn't. If you look around, the 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 collection of Marius's paintings, that again is not something that Louis does in the book. Now Louis does like art, but. I don't see him chasing no, down yeah, Marius's paintings. I also don't see Armand parting with any. Yeah, there's times that Louis is just hanging out in like a rundown old house. Right. You know? <laughs> like he's not necessarily like the most luxurious of our of our vampires. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't really considered that because it does seem kind of out of character. That space itself seems out of character, though. I mean, you think about moving forward in time and them you know finding finding the new the new fashion and things like that who the hell knows but um oh i did like that they uh that he asked him did the pandemic kind of bring all this up like does that making everybody all you know what does he say the pandemic or the state of things in the world i thought okay so there and there's there's a there's a comment there too that i have been searching for crazily and i can't find i i I don't know if it's a reference uh he calls out some so Ever so slightly earlier than that, uh, Louis is talking about what a nice vampire he is and how he's got his instincts in check, et cetera, et cetera. And and Daniel says, oh, like all the rest of them? And Louis says, no, very much unlike the rest of them. They're crazed for blood. And then he calls out, there's one brute in Madagascar. Yes. 
who wants it to be a great conversion. He's going to turn the whole world into vampires is, is the, yeah. the implication the there. I don't know. I don't, I mean, one, so listen, in the, in the later books and in, in the Prince Lestat books, there are a couple of names that are very powerful vampires that haven't really been discussed before. They're weaved into the story and made antagonists to Lestat and your, your central, you know, protagonist vampires for those two or three stories. It could be one of those, but I can't find anything in the alphabetery uh, or my searching that makes either one of them a direct call out for Madagascar. And I can't find anything that mentions a discussion of a great conversion. So I don't think either one of those ideas come directly from the novels. If you know what that is a reference to, please, pretty please, tell us in the comments or, or send us a message on Facebook or put it on the, the, um, the Facebook uh um, spoiler thread discussion, whatever. I'd love to know it if anybody finds it, but so far in my searching, I haven't found an answer to that one. Um, I, I do think though, it is interesting that the pandemic might be a supply chain issue for vampires, right? <laughs> like, is it a, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of extra death all of a sudden, a yeah, lot of people out yeah. of pocket, but also a lot of awareness suddenly of people that die, perhaps maybe that's caused a little extra scrutiny. Or maybe a lot of people dying means that you can pass your kills off as COVID oh, maybe it's open season now because we can, we can just kill them all and they'll go, oh, I don't know. It's a fever. It's just like the wharfs in New Orleans in 1910. Um, the the compound there in Dubai, though, you, you were mentioning like, oh, you know, now that I think about it, it doesn't seem like, Louis, it seems like to me the Night Island from uh, Tale of the Body Thief, you know, the yeah, end of Queen of the yeah. Damned and, and the beginning of Tale of the Body Thief. Armand's Miami, built this place off, yeah, off the coast of Miami. And it's only open at night, and it's this great sanctuary for vampires, but also it's a, a tourist trap and a, a great revenue source for him, you know, right? Well, this place in Dubai just screams that to me. I, I think this is going to end up being one of Armand's locations that, you know, the coven of the articulate are welcome at, including Louis, especially as he is uh, a particularly beloved, um, you know, friend and companion of Armand's. But... I, I just get the sense Louis being overseen here by somebody still. And I think that's that's the reveal yet to come. We, we'll cross our fingers and hope they, they get to it sooner rather than later. It's going to be so exciting if it's they so have great. cast Armand and kept it from us. Yeah, I mean, that's that would be such a, a, a great trick to pull. I, I would be very pumped about that. But I mean, oh, I just, it's going so well. I'm so excited about what's next. Ooh. I am too. I am too. Um, speaking of what's next, let's scroll down here and look. Uh, the next episode is entitled, Is My Very Nature That of a Devil? That's going to be out uh, on October 9th on AMC Plus and then October 16th on cable. And we will record our discussion of that episode sometime on the 9th and have it out for you later that evening. Uh, right along with uh, with your watching pleasure. I hope it's fantastic. And then the episode after that, I'm not going to give you the title yet, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be our Claudia episode. I, th I think we get one more week before Claudia's entry, but uh, she is coming, friends. She's coming soon. That feels timing-wise about right. Like, uh, like either we'll see her at the end or at the end of this next one or the definitely, I think, the the fourth episode for sure. They can't. They can't leave her out there very much longer. Um, speaking of the uh, the week early release on AMC Plus, apparently is not just for Interview with a Vampire. That's kind of their go to move. They've been doing it for a year or two with The Walking Dead. I've been told now by a couple of uh, older AMC fans that are around for all of those shows. They're like, yeah, this is what they do. So, um, so we're on board for it. I'm excited for it. That means that you and I won't go. You know, we won't have to wait more than a week to get a new episode, uh, even though we're we're working a little bit ahead now. So, um, folks, do your homework before you listen to our next episode. Make sure you've watched episode three of Interview with a Vampire. Please go to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, I should say, and uh, join our discussion there. Or tweet at us, at Articulate Coven, and uh, let us know what you're thinking of the show. Let us know if you've got any questions. Let us know if you've got an answer for that uh, the brute from Madagascar. Who might that be? Who is that a reference to in the uh, in the episode? And whose whose apartment do you think this is? Whose house whose house is this on the top of the <laughs> tower in Dubai? Are we in? 
Exactly. Who? Because again, you could imagine. I, you could tell me that Armand set that whole dinner up, and I'd believe it way faster than Louis set that whole dinner oh, up. Yeah. You could talk me into Louis, but it's easy for me to believe that Armand set it up. Any final thoughts, Ashley? Before we tell him goodbye this week? Uh, no, not really. Just that I'm. I, I think. Uh, like you know, looking on, looking online, it feels like a lot of people were really, really pumped by this episode. And we're even more kind of enthusiastic about it than the first one. I've seen a lot of people that had a lot of skepticism about it that have kind of come around and are, and are really excited about it. So I think that that's something, you know, just bear in mind, even if you're feeling skeptical about it, if you're not quite sure you're ready to dive into it yet, just know that like, it'll be there when you are ready. And um, don't, don't miss out because you're afraid it's not going to be exactly what you want. Um, I think that they're telling a really great story. I think that there's a lot of depth to it that um, that makes it make it's going to make it overall a more rich and um, and more uh, accurate telling of 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 these characters and, and these time periods they're living in and 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 their relationships with each other. Oh, a hundred percent. I agree. I think that's such a, a great way to put it. I yes, that's what I'm trying to do too. Take this story for what it is and enjoy it for what it is first. Then you can always come at a deeper level with somebody like you, Ashley, who I know loves these books and loves these stories and loves these characters. You and I can have a nitpicky discussion. Well, what the hell's with Louis and Lestat talking to each other, but not being able to talk to each other right. in their heads? You know, those sorts <laughs> of things. That's a second level though. First level Enjoy the heck out of what we're getting because we're getting good stuff, folks. All right. Until next time, we've been the Articulate Coven. We are your hosts. Ashley Wright Eiler. And I'm Joel Sharpton. And this is the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to The Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at articulatecoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. 